Welcome to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today we're kicking off a new series because it's a new year, new year, new series. We're talking about Jesus as a feminist which is a pretty um, cool topic. I'm really excited to be speaking this week purely because I'm not speaking for the next three weeks, which is just awesome for me, getting three weeks, not quite off because I'm speaking in another church at the end of the month. But um, I'm happy to be kickstarting this series because I want to kind of set the tone. So today's talk is all about where you sit. Where are you sitting? That's the question. That's the question for each and every single one of us today. Where are you sitting? So in a book called Ezekiel, which is like uh, written by one of the prophets in the Old Testament, He has three occasions, one in 8 verse 1, 14 verse 1, and chapter 20 verse 1, where the elders of Israel would come and they would sit at Ezekiel's feet. Now the reason the leaders of the country would come and sit at his feet is because as a prophet, he'd be seen as like today, like a social innovator. He'd be seen as someone who sees ahead, sees where things are going, see what trends need to happen within their society and country, and try and meet those needs. And so these people would come to him because they believed he was connected to God and that God would be able to show them a way forward from where they were going. So people would come and sit at his feet. This became like a saying in Jesus' day. So people would talk about sitting at the feet of their rabbi, like their teacher. So there were loads of rabbis at Jesus' time. He wasn't like the only person who had disciples, who had followers. So he was a teacher, he was known as a rabbi. And what would happen is disciples would sit at the feet of their rabbi to learn from them. So when we look at another passage, we look at a song, the first ever psalm in the book of Psalms. And it says this, it says, The blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So sitting in this case is the worst scenario because you become completely at home, you become accustomed to, you become relaxed in scoffing. And it shows you this movement. So it talks about not walking in the way of the wicked. So the way the Hebrew people talked about faith was you would walk in the direction that God had called you. You would walk in line with what he has for you. And when they talk about sin was a Hebrew word shatar, which meant to go the wrong way. It meant to miss and to continually head in a direction that wasn't the direction that was for your life or for you as a person. So when this psalm says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk the wrong way, nor stands in the way of sinners, because for him it was like, you're walking in the right way, there comes a moment where there's an opportunity to what they call sin, which is to go the wrong way. And he goes, and that happens when you stand, when for one moment someone stops you from moving the direction you're going, and you start to ponder and be like, am I really about this life? Am I really gonna continue this way? This way's a bit too much for me. I'm gonna pause, I'm gonna stay for a bit. But then he says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There comes this point where you're no longer just going the wrong way. You're no longer standing still in the motion of being a sinner. You're now sitting in it completely happy and just scoffing at the things that are right, scoffing at the direction that you should be going in, laughing at it, mocking it like it's nothing. And so in this kind of angle, you look at Ezekiel and the leaders come and they come and sit at Ezekiel's feet because they want to hear from God which way the nation should be heading because they're responsible for it. And this psalm is talking about be careful if you're going the right way that you don't end up stopping doing wrong stuff and then end up being comfortable in it. And what happens is it's so crazy, but I can look back at times in my life where I've been totally against something. It hasn't taken long for me to stand there, spend a bit of time in that position. And then all of a sudden, I'm not only comfortable with it, I'm now scoffing and cussing out people that are doing the things that I held as values that I felt were really meaningful, but I no longer do. And so this psalm is kind of about that. And this guy says, is blessed 
to not fall for any of that nonsense, to not take that bait. So the question this morning is, where are you? Are you walking in the way of the wicked? Are you standing around like a sinner, not committed to sitting and learning from God, keeping your options open, sitting on the fence? Are you scoffing, which is the worst? Things just are just a joke to you. Um, so as a church, we have some values that we talk about. We talk about shining, we talk about inviting, we talk about giving, and those are kind of values that as a collective and as individuals that are kind of dear to us. And what happens when you stop moving in, the, in that direction is you start to scoff at those things. That like, actually, you know what? I'm not gonna live my life shining, not shine myself off, but shining a light to other people. Like, this is a great thing to do. This is a good thing to be a part of. I'm not gonna live my life inviting people into my life. I'm not gonna live my life inviting people into kind of God's kingdom or what he has for them. And then giving. I'm not gonna live my life giving, helping others with their needs and their situation. I'm not gonna give my time to people who are hurting and people in need around me. I'm just gonna live my life for me and put me kind of first. And that's kind of where it leads. Or are we gonna sit at God's feet, learning what it means to shine invite and how to invite others on that journey with us and to give what we have for something so much greater. So we're gonna look now um, at Luke's gospel. So Luke's gospel is such a, such a, such a good gospel. I love it purely because, I don't know, some people have even gone as far as to say they reckon it might have been actually written by a woman, which for me then makes it straight away probably the best gospel to be talking about for this series. Um, Luke's gospel has this really, really unique angle on everything and it keeps on highlighting women throughout. And also Luke, the author of Luke, is also the author of the book of Acts and you'll find in there some really kind of key things that kind of happen. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, 8, 9, 10. Obviously, I'm not going to read all of that because that's a lot. But I want to highlight a few things. So there's a widow's son, a widow. She's lost her son. She's losing him. And Jesus steps in. And that brings about a lot of fear among the crowd. There's a moment where he also heals a little girl. Um, there's a moment where he's at a really big mover and shaker's house, this Pharisee who's like a social innovator, a really important person within the community, really respected within the nation. And this guy is there. He's invited Jesus saying, listen, you've got to come around my house, bro. We've got to talk about some things, the way the nation's heading, things we're going to do. Let's solve some problems. Let's talk about this stuff. So he comes around to his house. And then there's this moment where this woman comes in, known as Mary Magdalene, and she rushes to Jesus' feet. And she starts cleaning his hair, his feet with her hair and, and kissing his feet and anointing it with, with oil and all this stuff. And the guy whose house he's in, he just starts talking to himself in his head like we all do when we make a judgment about someone. He makes a judgment call. He goes, man, if this guy was really a prophet, this guy really was who he says he is, he would know the type of woman who is at his feet. But then Jesus says to him, I need to tell you something. You see, I find this a bit of a strange one because Jesus is so unlike any other. I like my personal space. I'm not gonna lie, I like my personal space. Like human body, personal space, all that kind of stuff. Jesus is there reclining at this guy's house, some next woman who's obviously a bit nuts, not because of the passage, but for the guy to observe and go, you know what, should he really be letting, him, letting her near him and letting her touch him? She must be a bit weird, she must be a bit nuts. He wouldn't be making that conclusion otherwise. So he's looking at Jesus going, what? Jesus just lets someone do that. And Jesus carries on like it's completely normal. Like he's allowed this person to completely invade his social space. That for itself would freak me out. I don't like it. I don't like that stuff. It's a bit cray to me. But he carries on as if it's normal. It, it unsettles the world to do. It unsettles the person around him. The people who are there are getting unsettled because like you're letting this person in this social boundary. You're breaking these social norms. You're breaking this stereotype. And he doesn't lighten it. But actually what happens is Jesus enlightens us in the story 
he enlightens the man in the story, and he enlightens us still today about how we're to carry himself. Jesus turns around to the guy and says, when I came into your house, you gave me no kiss. You didn't greet me. You didn't greet me with any love, any affection. He says, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. Now they went around in open sandals, walking around on the streets. They'd have like donkey poo on their feet, all sorts of dirt, and it'd be disgusting. When you stepped in someone's house and you were gonna eat there, one of the servants or one of the people in the house would come and they would wash your feet for you. He's like, you're well-to-do, you got it all together, you got money, you got position, yet you disrespect me, you don't have me, you don't wash my feet. This woman, who you're writing off, has come in, she has not stopped kissing me from the moment she's got here, and she has not stopped kissing and cleaning my feet with her tears and with her hair. And then he goes on to say, he says, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet. And then he says, those who are forgiven much, love much, and those who are forgiven little, love little. And he starts to speak about this woman and he says to her that her sins are forgiven, you can live a different way and he empowers her. And he says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Um, Which when he says go in peace, they see peace very differently to you and I. You and I think about go in peace like you have control over your life. Like I can't control walking out that door. Someone might come up to me and want to start a fight with me. Like go in peace, I have no authority over that. What he's saying is their understanding of peace was uh, correct balance, that you would no longer have this thought, feeling, heaviness about this uncertainty about your position between you and God, that you would be in correct equilibrium, that you would be well balanced, that you would be at peace at home and comfortable with who you are in your own skin, no longer doubting your identity and who you are because of what you've done. So that's what he says to her. So then she leaves in that way. And then when we get to Luke chapter 8, there's this really weird thing that Luke does in verse 1. He starts listing these women's names that are with him. He starts saying like Mary uh, Magdalene, uh, Joanna, Susanna, and a few other girls as well. And it says, who provided for him out of their means. And one of them is really funny because she's actually um, married to Herod's manager. So Herod, who would love Jesus, daily duppied, killed, whatever, um, he's actually indirectly funding it because he's paying the manager. The manager has the money going in and then the wife is spending it, giving it to Jesus. So we look at Jesus' ministry and you've got these women who are literally bankrolling the whole operation um, in Luke chapter 8. So we see Jesus treating women differently. We see women funding and backing the thing. And then we start to see something really different. In Luke 8 verse 35, although it's not a woman, it's a demon-possessed man and he's like on a mad one. Jesus sets this guy free and when the people come and see him, he's no longer naked and in chains. He's now in sound mind, sitting at his feet which is what we talked about before. And the people become very, very afraid. So according to what we see in Luke, we see widows getting their sons back. We see women saved by him. We see women bankrolling this new church that's happening. And we're seeing the demon possessed are set free and become disciples. But that in the whole gospel of Luke is not the kicker. That isn't the bit that would freak people out. So when people heard this gospel, when people read this gospel, the bit that would have freaked them out would not have been, oh, demon-possessed man set free. That would have been like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, this is gnarly, this is ridiculous. But the bit that would have freaked them out would have been in Luke 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, are you anxious and troubled about many things? You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So in Psalm 16 verse 5, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You are my lot. You are my everything. So when Jesus says this, he's quoting one of the old Psalms that's written and he's saying, she's chosen me as everything. This will not be taken from her. And you and I read this. And the way that Christians tend to read this passage is they don't understand it at all, at all, like in the slightest. So for a lot of Christians today, like I see it on Instagram a lot. I see it at different churches I go to, different guys I've hung out with. And um, there's always girls in the ch- girls in the church who have non-stop Instagram pictures of like a Bible open, if you don't know about this trend, a notebook and a coffee with the greatest like latte art sitting on the top. And it's like hashtag devotional, hashtag blessed, hashtag humble brag, whatever, you know what I mean? All these kind of like spiritual hashtags. And they just post non-stop selfies with a book open, a notepad and this there. And when, when most Christians read this passage, that's what they see, they see like, Jesus wouldn't take away her devotional time, man. He let her sit with that coffee and, and, and have her time with her book. Oh my gosh, hashtag blessed. So when Christians talk about this passage, that's what they see. They don't understand it at all. This story is thousands of years old and the culture they lived in at the time, women were like second class citizens. They had no authority. They could not be a witness in court. If they witnessed a crime, their word would be meaningless. It could never be taken to a court. They lived under two rulerships. Their dad, when they were little, and when they got married, their husband. They weren't allowed out and about in the streets. If they did go out, it was to do a duty or a task. They were never out there gossiping, socializing. There was not, it was bang, bang, point A, point B, back home. Anything else was an issue. And so Jesus, in this moment, they weren't allowed even to learn off a rabbi. They weren't even allowed to learn off a teacher. They weren't allowed to discuss the teachings of the scriptures. They weren't allowed to engage in any of these sorts of things. And yet here, what would have shocked people when they heard this gospel, when it was um, being circulated, was Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Straight at that point, they'd have been like, no, no, steady, this is ridiculous. What do you mean she's sitting at his feet? Because sitting at his feet, the, the gospel, the author, the writer, isn't saying to you, oh, Mary was sat at his feet, like to paint this picture of like this, this kind of intimacy of like, oh, she was kind of close to where he was. They would say a statement, you would sit at the feet of your rabbi. That would mean your rabbi had accepted you, had chosen you, and you were a disciple. And a disciple wasn't someone who just liked your ideals, liked your point of view, and and just went along with what you said. A disciple was one that you were saying could be exactly as you are and do all that you do. So when Jesus is allowing her to sit at his feet, he's saying, you can be as I am. You can do as I do, which is a lot. That is a lot. And so then when that's happening, uh, Martha comes along and what she's saying is, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve alone. She's kind of flagging it like, Lord, don't you see it's a bit weird? The social norm is she should be with me in the kitchen, getting the food, bringing all this stuff out. We should be looking after everything. She shouldn't be sitting here. And at that moment, what would happen is she'd be pushing him to a position where he would have to embrace the custom, embrace society, embrace the religious beliefs and the stereotypes of the day. And he would have to say, you know what, honey, you shouldn't really be sitting down here. You don't belong down here. You should go and do a woman's work. But what Jesus says is he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my everything. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If there's one thing I've noticed in church throughout my life is that women are often still seen as like second rate. Like I'm just being real. Like from one church I grew up in, like I, I don't think I ever saw a woman speak on the platform, like except for maybe announcements or something. I never saw a preach. I never saw that happen. Second rate. I saw, oh, they're allowed to teach the kids in Sunday school. That was it. Yeah, they taught the kids. I'll tell you that back. But you've never seen them on a Sunday speaking. You've never seen them in a leadership position. You've never seen them in authority. Other churches I know and I've been at, they would have this big discussion about like, oh, leadership is male. According to the Bible, leadership is male, leadership is this, and they'd have these stupid dead-end discussions. But one of the key things I saw actually was, I saw a lot of men being jerks. I saw a lot of men being stupid, ignorant, and not understanding the text they, they were reading and discussing from, in my opinion. But what I'd see so often is I'd see older women in the church who had their whole lives not been allowed to be given opportunity and they would do a Martha. They'd be coming out and they'd be stopping other women having opportunity because it was kind of like, well, my whole life, I didn't get to do any of this stuff. So you're sure as hell not gonna get to do stuff. They don't say that like that. They just come alongside and agree with the arguments and agree with things being said. But they kind, of, they kind of stop this. But one thing that Jesus says is he says the exact opposite of this. You see, sometimes it is even women who stand in the way of women having their rightful place. Sometimes women join in with the culture and say, this is how it is. They co-sign, aka stick an amen on the end of it. This is how it will be. She should be this. She should be doing that. But Jesus refuses to call her anything different than himself. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and him say, well, I'm going to place some limits on you. There's a few things in your way. Because if he allows you to be a disciple, he's saying you could be everything that he is. The reason Peter got out of the boat to walk on water was because Jesus called him a disciple, saying you could be as I am. He saw his rabbi walking on water, so he said, hey, if it's you, tell me to come. I'm getting out of the boat. And Jesus says, come. He, he doesn't even walk on the water. Peter doesn't walk on water. He walks on the words of Jesus. He walks on the words of Jesus. And so when he, call, he calls her in this way, Jesus refuses to call her anything different than himself. He refuses to not let her be, but he allows and empowers her to be as he is. Jesus says, no, this will not be taken away from her. For too long in church, too, too long, my whole life, I've watched things, opportunities being taken away from women in church, and it just, it just can't happen anymore. It can't happen anymore. One of the beautiful things that you get from Luke's gospel in the book of Acts is that as you read through it, you keep on seeing these women's names just chucked in here, there, and everywhere in these stories all over the place. And it's almost like Luke, when you go through Luke and you read straight into Acts, you start to get this feeling that actually the men and women are side by side reflecting God's glory and image and wonder and balance. And it's just kind of getting back to exactly how things really should be. That actually it's not one person being a foundation for another one to tread on to get up but it's actually for both of them to be enjoyed and flow exactly in all that they are because Jesus invites both men and women to sit at his feet because he says we can be as he is. On the one hand, I feel like this is for the church, not our church, because I think we just flow in that anyway. It's, this, this talk is not going to make really any difference for anyone here because we're kind of on that wave already. Like It's, it's who we are. 
I guess the reason we're talking about it, what I'm talking about today, the next three weeks that we've got are going to be very different, exploring different areas, looking at different women that kind of serve with Jesus in the New Testament. The reason I'm talking about it today is because I want to do two things with this series for me and how the reason I want to do it at church. One, I want to do it because I feel so many women, not just here, but outside of here, are missing out on so much that God has for them and I want to rock the boat. Two, because we actually have listeners at the moment all around the world. Uh, two weeks ago, we had listeners in seven different Islamic countries, which is pretty awesome. And I don't know if they're male or female. And if they're male, great. They can take this and start applying that, that'd be great. And if they're women, they'll feel empowered, which is awesome. And the second thing is, there are a lot of women who aren't in church today because of some of this stuff, because people held them down, pushed them down, and disempowered them and didn't allow them to be as Jesus was. And for me, I want to use this series, I want to flush out some women who aren't, a, aren't in a church because they don't know there are churches that exist that see things this way. And lastly, I want to do this because it's just the right thing to do and the right thing to talk about. And lastly, actually even more than that, is actually because I don't feel this is just church, I feel this is society. I feel that just because women have been allowed to vote now and go to work, we feel like equality has taken place as a society. We don't really talk about the issues too much, and I believe we need to be a part of that charge. I'm just going to pray for us today, and then that'll be it for this Sunday. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that there isn't a woman on this planet that you do not think can be as you are and to be like you. I thank you, Lord God, that women have so much to bring to the world, and in so many countries, and actually in every country, they're held back and they're not given the same opportunities, same positions, they're not given the same pay, they're not given raises as easily, they're not given all sorts of other opportunities and in some families they're, they're held back, they're seen as second class. In other families they wish they'd have a boy just because girls don't have the same value. All sorts of stupid ideologies and beliefs that we have that are so poisonous and so damaging. Father, I pray that you would help us to be as Jesus and that when we see people coming out saying, that's not for her, that's not how things should be for girls, that's not how things should be for women, we would be as you. This will not be taken from them. This will not be taken from her. But we will empower and be agents of change within our communities, within our families, within our friendships, within our circles. And I also pray, Father, for every uh, woman that will be not just listening today, but online that will be listening, that, Father, you would meet with them and that you would allow them to sit at your feet, that you would guide them, that you would strengthen them, and you would enable them to be all that they're called to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the cool thing is the rest of the series, um, it won't, it'll be women speaking. I just wanted to set the tone for the first week uh, just because I'm passionate about it, so I wanted to do it. But the other weeks, it will be kind of um, different women speaking. We've got some really cool speakers that are going to be doing stuff. Um, yeah, so have an amazing week. And if you want a drink, just let me know. And yeah, that's it. You're, you're free to go. Or, or chill out and chat. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.